0: My name is Phil Corbett from the podcast Van Sounds. This is a podcast from Travel Nevada, and it's the second part of a three part series. We're traveling the Cowboy Corridor, a road trip across the state, roughly following Interstate 80. So, buckle in, and let's take a ride.
1: My name's John Wright. We're at J.M. Capriola Company.
0: When we get to the shop, John Wright is upstairs working a piece of silver into the shape of Nevada. He and his wife own the place.
1: J.M. Capriola Company is a Western store that was started in 1929, so this is our 90th anniversary this year. Uh, it's, I'm the third generation in our family to uh, be an owner with my wife and uh, my two kids, and we are just continue to uh, keep the tradition alive in uh, Elko County and, and in the United States of Western culture and building custom saddles and bits and spurs. Right now we're sitting in our saddle shop. Uh, it's where all the magic happens. We build everything custom, uh, one piece at a time. So you come in, you pick something out, or you design it, or you have an idea in your head or your mind, we try and bring it to life in here.
0: The shop is right on Elko's commercial drag, upstairs of an old storefront. The room is filled with leather, tools, and workbenches. It definitely doesn't look like a factory.
1: Being made in Nevada, everything that we build is one person, one item. Uh, you, you know, one of us build it start to finish, so it's not an assembly line like you would find uh, in Texas or some of these other areas around the country where they do a lot more production so you know that is the unique thing is we can look at the item down the road years from now and we can tell which one of us basically had built the item because we have our own trademark uh look or our stamping or engraving a lot of people uh you know they want to they want a story they want history behind what they buy Um, you know, now whether or not they carry that tradition alive when they pass it down generation to generation and they can tell a story about it or not, we don't know, but at least they want to know who built the item, who made it, you know, they want to know where it came from. And, you know, if you go to Walmart or anywhere else, you know, you're buying an item and you don't care about it. And it's a turnaround trash item and there's no sentimental value, I guess, to it. And so, basically, when you build something and you come in and you order an item, whether it's a wallet or a saddle or a a silver bracelet or anything like that, you know, you can design it, you pick out what you want, you see the person that's making it, and you know that and the history behind it. So, I mean, to go and online and order something from some big chain store or anything else... You don't have any of that you don't have the nostalgia behind it and i think that that's one thing that at this point in our our uh, time that we are around that we're pretty blessed that people are actually following in the tradition of their grandparents you know grandparents bought quality and uh it's now kind of rolling back and and hopefully we stay in that tradition
0: J.M. Capriola Company is big on tradition. They operate on the belief that there is wisdom and craft in the past. A craft that's too easily shed for convenience.
1: That motto, um, you know, my dad is the one that came up with that, uh, Guardians of Tradition. And so for us, we don't want to change the way that we build anything or that anything is done. So we wanna keep that tradition alive. We wanna pass it down generation to generation and from cowboy to cowboy in in different generations or even if you're not a cowboy, if you're just a city person, but to keep that whole tradition alive, um, knowing that Every item is built one piece at a time and that we're not ever going to sacrifice anything to keep that tradition alive. Um, You know, for us, tradition is a big thing.
0: A few doors down from J.M. Capriola's is another place that honors cowboy history. Sydney and I duck in and meet Jan Peterson.
2: I'm Jan Peterson. I'm the director of the Cowboy Arts and Gear Museum located in G.S. Garcia's saddle shop at 542. Commercial Street in Elko, Nevada.
0: G.S. Garcia was an entrepreneur and famous saddle maker who had a shop in this exact storefront.
2: The museum features historical cowboy gear. Our aim is to help showcase, preserve, and sustain the interest in the old cowboy ways, whether it is... Silver engraving or leather crafting, rawhide braiding, horsehair braiding, even cooking. Any of those old traditions that we all know here that are in our backyard, and we want to share them with anybody else who's interested. Whether you're an old time cowboy that knows everything or someone who's never been exposed to it but thinks, that could be pretty interesting to learn about.
0: Why why is it important to preserve these old traditions?
2: Learning and preserving these old traditions is important that we learn our heritage. And to know and appreciate our heritage helps us to value what we have now and look forward into the future of the potential of other things that are out there. I'm just a big history geek, and I will admit it.
0: Jan shows us around the museum and points out everything from handcrafted saddles to branding irons to group photos of Elko's old baseball team. And up against the east wall, there's a little cabinet with a metal horn coming
2: out of the bottom. Another ranch item that is on display is from the Sestature Ranch, was in the Lamoille Valley, south of Elko. And it's a Edison phonograph player from 1917. It has still the original needle running in it. It's non-electric, it's spring and gear driven. This was the most modern song of its time.
0: She cranks a wheel on the side and it starts to spin. You can seriously spend days in Elko, checking out the other museums, restaurants, and the Ruby Mountains. But it's time for Sydney and I to head out. The Humboldt River flows through downtown Elko, and the interstate follows it, all the way to our next stop in Winnemucca. Winnemucca, like most northern Nevada towns, sits at the base of a snow-capped peak. So, Sydney, where are we right now?
3: We're at Winnemucca's Buckaroo Hall of Fame.
0: So, what are some of the things that are in here?
3: Looks like a lot of history about people who lived and devoted their lives to ranching in northern Nevada. Lots of uh, cowboy boots, spurs, chaps, lots of different types of barbed wire that they used throughout the decades. And uh, what a sensory experience this is in here. I mean, it's sort of uh, the smells, lots of texture going on. Um, It's kind of overpowering in all the right ways.
0: The Buckaroo Hall of Fame is a small exhibit in Winnemucca's convention center on the main drag. But the small space is filled with pictures of Great Basin buckaroos who were larger than life. And most of the pictures are in black and white.
3: I can't believe that uh, in order to be inducted, you have to be 85 years of age or older. That's pretty wild.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely no newbies in here. No,
3: I mean, these guys were tough and still are tough. It's a, a brand of lifestyle that not a lot of people... Do anymore, and it really does make sense how they're they've been been inducted into this Hall of Fame. Lots of hard work, their entire lives.
0: The founder of the Buckaroo Hall of Fame is Carl Hammond. Carl wasn't in town while we were there, but we were able to call him and ask him a few questions.
4: Since I was a kid, I grew up riding with a lot of them on the range, gathering cattle with my father, and it became an important part, you know, of uh, of what I learned growing up, so that kind of heritage stuck with me then, and uh, I became an artist uh, as I went along. So I tried to to portray that uh, lifestyle.
0: And so, can you describe, even just for a complete novice, you know, who's driving through Nevada for the first time? I mean, what what is a buckaroo?
4: Well, it's it's uh, a fellow that that came. To be because of the vaqueros uh, the of, of Southern California and Mexico, they were horsemen that had their own flamboyant way of handling horse, horses and, and cattle, and so in the 1800s, those types of traditions migrated north for grass in Nevada. The cattle were driven in, in, in trail herds in Nevada, in the high desert, and they thrived there, and if you know any, you know, about the uh, the Mexican heritage, the V, as in the caro, is pronounced like a B in the, in the uh, American language, English language, so the but, but, but caro turned into a slang description for the high desert, horseman, uh, buckaroo. You can see the similar way that that rolls off your tongue, buckaroo, buckaroo. Anyway, so that was the American version of the buckaroo.
0: Some of the flamboyant flares of the Great Basin Buckaroo were the intricate leather and silver work, braiding of the horse's tails, and flashy, skillful use of rope. Pictures and artifacts of all of this are on display here at the Hall of Fame.
3: I think in a place like the Buckaroo Hall of Fame, everything is worn. I mean, everything in here has been purchased and used for decades worth of time. And to me, it just kind of seals the deal of something that's real that you can can experience and and hold on to. It's not a brand new saddle that was custom made and on an exhibit in a in a museum. All this stuff was truly used by the guys and all the frames on the walls here. All the brands that you see, all the spurs, the hats, everything in here was really used.
4: I felt like they were forgotten. You know, there's Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma, or or was, and uh, they remembered a lot of the rodeo riders from the early 1900s and 1950s, but these guys that actually did the work and rounded up the cattle were being forgotten. And so the Hall of Fame became a place uh, for me and my family to actually start something that maybe these guys could be remembered for what they did in that era in Nevada. It's a big part of Nevada history, I think, that shouldn't be forgotten.
0: We head over to the Martin Hotel for a drink. In the last episode, we talked about the Basque hotels and Swung by the Star. But for a quick refresher, current-day Basque hotels are bars and restaurants that serve Basque American food. The food is served family-style, and the signature drink is the pecan punch.
5: I am Lori Villarreal, I'm a bartender at the Martin Hotel in Winnemucca, Nevada.
0: And so what, what is your trick to making the perfect pecan?
5: Oh gosh, I don't know. I've made so many of them. I've been here since 2004, so it's just, it's made with love.
0: And so somebody who's never heard of a pecan before, what what does it taste like?
5: <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. It's, uh, it's, well, it's, deri- it's citrusy because it's derived from orange peels and uh, it's unlike anything else you've ever tasted, so it's kind of hard to explain. You have to come down and taste one.
0: Yeah, you have to experience it to understand it.
5: Love is definitely the secret ingredient, but I don't know. We just have the right mixture that just seems to be... And the bartenders. I mean, no. (laughs) But like in Elko, some people come in and ask for an Elko pecan. That means no soda water in it. I have transformed a few people and had them try mine, and they like it better.
0: For the unfamiliar, those are fighting words. The pecan punch is made from a bitter aperitif called a mare, which has nothing to do with the pecan nut. Pecan is a last name. And you mix it in with a little grenadine, club soda, unless you're in Elko, and top it off with a brandy float. Then a lemon twist, all served over ice in a specialty glass. It can be challenging for newbies.
5: Some people order another one. Some people say they're good. So,
0: <laughs> I do have a whole episode dedicated to waxing poetic about the pecan. So if you're interested, we'll post a link on the website and I will leave that there for now. One of the best things in a Basque hotel bar is the conversation. Most of them aren't hotels anymore, but even without rooms, they've maintained a very specific atmosphere. It's this perfect mix of travelers and locals where everybody is equally welcome and of equal importance. Maybe this comes from the time when shepherds would stay in the hotel, drink pecans in the bar, and talk to people who lived in town. I imagine there was a sort of conversational-symbiotic relationship, where an exchange of knowledge and stories was equally valuable to both sides. So conversation was open and without pretense. In true Basque Hotel fashion, Sydney struck up a conversation with a woman a few stools down. She said she was on her way to Basque dancing practice and invited us to join. We finished our pecans and met her in a warehouse space behind a flower shop where about a dozen dancers were drinking wine and warming up.
5: So
6: we'll transition out of that. Then F- face partner. your partner. It's a slight pause. Yeah, there's are little These two are the only ones. Keep them straight. Hi, I'm Maureen McDonald. I'm the president of the Winnemucca Basque Club, Danak and we're here in Winnemucca just finishing up a little adult Basque dancing practice.
0: And so, can you tell me a little bit about the dances you were practicing today?
6: Um, yeah, so a couple of them were traditional. We uh, performed a Fandango, which is just a very normal traditional uh, Basque dance, and then arin arin. Uh, One of them is from the French side of the Pyrenees Mountains. Another one, the Fandango, is from the Spanish side of the Pyrenees Mountains. So you have the French Basque and the Spanish Basque. Um, We did a couple of others. We did the Makilchiki, which means little sticks. And that was the girls with the little sticks. And we have a bunch of different dances that we do, but we're getting ready for our best festival, which is next weekend. So those were the ones that we performed this evening. For a lot of us, especially us older dancers, who've been doing this for like 40 years, um, the mindset is let's just get through it and uh, survive and get a little wine at the end and um, just have a good time and show everyone how much we love our heritage. So.
0: And it's not just wine at the end either. It's kind of yeah, like people ducking out.
6: You are correct. You are very correct. It is not. Um, we, we have our privileges. We've been doing it long enough. So, yeah. Uh, our water breaks, our wine breaks, or whatever you need them to be to be able to keep going. So, yeah.
0: Tradition is an interesting thing. and There are a lot of different ways you can honor it. You can continue a craft like saddle making and leather work, collect objects like record players and branding irons. You can save stories and photos from being forgotten. And you can meet up in the back of a flower shop and teach people the traditional dances that were once taught to you. There's a wisdom in tradition and history, and it's worth learning from, worth thinking about. And driving across Nevada, if you look closely, you might just be lucky enough to catch a glimpse. This podcast was produced by me, Phil Corbett, for Travel Nevada. This episode was all about the Cowboy Corridor, which stretches across Nevada, roughly following I-80. To learn more details about this trip and other Nevada road trips, check out TravelNevada.com. The intro music in this episode is a song called Space Camp by Reno artist Buffalo Moses, and the outro is by People With Bodies. You can find me and my other work at vansounds.org or search Vansounds wherever you're listening now. Thanks for tuning in and see you in part two.